it's not just a turning away from sin, it's a turning to something even greater than that. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. I'm Dave Van Vickle, and unfortunately this week I am not joined by my regular co-host, Michael Goldenbeard Gormley. Uh, Gomer's feeling under the weather, so he is not with me this week, and nevertheless we push on without our fearless leader here. Uh, so say a prayer for Gomer and his family as he's a little bit sick under the weather. Nothing serious. Don't worry about that. He'll be back next week. Absolutely. How's your Advent going? Uh, mine's already seems crazy and stressed, unfortunately. I hope that you're able to um, take some time and really you know, be deliberate about your Advent and about this time of preparation before uh, we celebrate Christmas. This is a, a big time... Um, for for everyone, but I I love Advent because you know it wasn't all that long ago that I kind of fell in love with the life of Saint Francis of Assisi, and as you know, the Franciscans have a deep devotion to the incarnation and to and Saint Francis himself had a deep devotion just to the nativity. He's credited as the inventor inventor of the nativity scene, right? Um, and 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 this idea that we're preparing for right one of the greatest acts of love, if not the greatest, one of the greatest acts of love in in history ever imaginable, and that is the incarnation, right? That he who is clouded in, in inapproachable light, right? The, the unmoved mover, the uncaused cause, the creator of all, of all things is going to be born, right? To take flesh and and do so as an act of movement towards our heart, to bridge that gap between heaven and hell that sin collapsed. I mean, this is uh, this is amazing stuff, guys, right? This is amazing stuff. This is how God communicates salvation to us, right? This is what like church nerds call soteriology, right? This is this is important. And and this is what's so beautiful about the Catholic faith that uh, we respect so much of the physical, right? The physicality. And because God took flesh. When the word became flesh, like, you know, the, the physical world took on a whole new meaning, right? That we have, that's why I love, like, the smells and bells, you know, the old phrase of of the Catholic Church. I love these things, these signs and symbols that reflect real grace, right? Um, because this is what, you know, we have an incarnational faith. We have an incarnational faith. We're going to continue on this week with our discussion of repentance as we continue on this kind of like a three-week Advent retreat on the theme of repentance. And um, I hope last week you benefited from, benefited from it. Um, I know I did. I, it was It's great to just even talk about it. And and when when Gomer kind of brought it up to me and, and the, the producers at Ascension Press brought it up, I you know, I kind of was like, uh, repentance, you know, that's not... Uh, that's not really, I, I mean, that kind of seems boring to me in a sense. Like everybody knows about repentance. But honestly, I, I had a hard time like kind of formulating my thoughts about repentance last week, and which is interesting. Um, and so I'm, I'm really glad now that we've entered onto this journey. And this week we're going to continue on. I want to talk a little bit about repentance in the scriptures um, and give you kind of just a, a scriptural reflection of what 
repentance looks like in the Gospels and in the Scriptures and everything, um, to kind of give you some fruit to meditate on, uh, or some words to meditate on uh, as you go on in the coming week and really start to think about uh, bringing your, your own heart. What kind of repentance do you need in your own heart, right? I mean, uh, all of us, every single one of us, needs to live a life of repentance. That's what I loved about, one of the things I loved about the life of St. Francis of Assisi, right? The, their first name, the Franciscans' first name, they called them the, the, the penitence of Assisi. The penitence of Assisi, right? Francis is um, the epitome of penance, right? Of repentance. He is the epitome of what it means to be a repentant sinner, right? Uh, and, and that's what we all have to be, so... In the scriptures, um, we hear what we translate as the word repentance um, often, okay? Even in the Old Testament, we had prophets talking uh, about repentance, okay? And what they were saying is like, turn away from your life of sin, right? The word in the Gospels that's used for repentance, we, we would tra- it's the word metanoia, metanoia, right? And metanoia just basically means repent, right? And so you hear John the Baptist saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You have Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst, okay? Um, These are just calls to change your life, right? And it means a total radical reorientation. That's what this is, right? Metanoia is a radical reorientation, okay? It's a turning away from sin. But again, it's not just a turning away from sin, it's a turning to something even greater than that. And that's what we have to remember. This isn't kind of like a stoic philosophy kind of thing, right? There were people who were very moral at the time of Jesus who were not Christians. And even for in this day and age, there are people who are very moral who are not Christians, right? I mean, it happens. That's that's a true thing, that kind of a natural morality. And, and even now, like, just like almost, it's almost wrapped in like kind of um, like self-help languages, right? Self-help language, kind of like a, uh, you're striving for excellence rather than morality or striving for success rather than relationship. Okay. I mean, there's still people who are like that, who, who live very moral lives, but almost from a stoic philosophy sense, right? Uh, what we're looking to is something more than that. Okay. Something more than just, just morality for morality's sake. It's not just a turning away from sin. It's not just a leaving your old life behind. It's an infilling of your life with something new and something even greater. This is why that phrase is so beautiful. Metanoia, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? It is is more than just turn away. It means the kingdom is here and it's time to enter it. And that's what's so awesome about this, right? And one of the things that's interesting is that you hear in the prophets and even in in John the Baptist uh, preaching, uh, met, the word metanoia or repentance is always followed by kind of some scary stuff, right? Like God is coming and he's coming with his judgment of fire and he's coming with this and he's coming. And it's a little bit of a scary thing. And, and that's it, it's all true. I'm not denying that at all. But then when you get to the point where it's not just uh, repent for the kingdom of God is coming, now it's repent for the kingdom of God is here with Jesus you turn and who is it? It's not, it's not God as the just judge. It's not God with uh, the the fires uh, of you know uh, the winnowing fork in his hand. It's the most tender and loving Savior you could possibly imagine, right? It, it, you turn to what you're supposed to be looking towards. To you turned away from your old life of sin, and you turn towards 
the presence of the kingdom, right? For the kingdom of God is in your midst. And who is it but the most loving and incredible Savior? And it was interesting to see the way people responded to this, right? Because in a sense, right, you would think that sinners should run from Christ, but Christ goes right into the midst of the sinners because that is why he came, right? Luke 5.32 says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And after the story of Zacchaeus, he says, I've come to seek and save the lost. This is exactly what Christ came to do, to call us to repentance and to call us into a beautiful relationship with himself, to call us into something even greater than just a strict moralism, to call us into a life of, uh, of virtue and call us into a life of mystical relationship with him. I mean, this is, this is something we should be so incredibly excited about. You've all, you have heard the phrase, you know, there's like natural phrases out there that, uh, that people say like, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, or, uh, you gotta, you gotta be strict for a time so that you can feast. You've got to fast so that you can feast, right? In a sense, this is kind of what I'm talking about that, right? That when we turn away from God, when we turn away from sin, uh, it's like a, an entry point requirement, right? To try and turn away from sin, to try our best, very best to start laying aside every encumbrance that hinders us, okay, so that we can embrace something so much greater, so much more amazing, so much more incredible that is Jesus Christ, right? And again, it's not like a hard and fast rule. We know in the lives of the saints even, right, not all of, they didn't, you don't just leave sin behind. You don't just say, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm done sinning for the rest of my life. That's not the way it works, right? We don't do it on our own. The reason why we're saying, like, look, turn from sin and turn to Christ is because Christ is the one who can actually heal us of that sin, right? Just like in the, in the Old Testament, I think I mentioned this last week, you know, there's beautiful parallels. Uh, Jesus is a type of Moses, right? There's a typology there. Or Moses, sorry, is a type of, of Jesus. And and what happens when, when Moses comes down the mountain, right, with those tablets of the Ten Commandments, what does he do, right? He sees the Israelites uh, or the Hebrews sinning, and what does he do? He slams those tablets down, right? He doesn't help them in a sense, right? Well, I guess I guess in the sense of like a, a justice sense, he helps them, right? He tells them what's wrong. He convicts them of their sin, but he doesn't heal them of their sin. And if we can kind of just for a second compare that to when Christ is proclaiming the, the, the new covenant and, and, and the mark of the new covenant in the Beatitudes, he's on a hill, he's proclaiming the Beatitudes. This is going to be the, the, the absolute sign of the life of someone who follows Jesus Christ, the Beatitudes, right? These are the things that we, we strive for. These are the things that we are going to try and order our life around. And when he comes down the mount, when he comes down the mount, right? The very next scene, he encounters a leper. Uh, leprosy would be a sign of sin in the in the Old Testament, right? Sign of sin. And so when he sees this leper, just like Moses saw the sinners in his people worshiping the golden calf, when Christ sees this sign of sin, what does he do? Does he slam the tablets down? Does he proclaim judgment on him? No, no, brothers and sisters. What he does is instead he heals them. And this is kind of amazing for us, right? It's kind of an amazing thing, and it's kind of a unique thing because Christ isn't just trying to cover our sins. 
He's not just stepping in for the punishment. He is going to get down and he's going to scrub us and clean us and heal us and perform surgery on us. And he's going to make us and give us new hearts and new spirits and allow us to actually change, actually make the change that the prophets and that John the Baptist call for. This is what's so beautiful about leaving that life behind because not only do we leave behind a life of sin, which is always ends in heartbreak, but we embrace a life that we could never even possibly, possibly imagine, right? There's all kinds of things, reasons to leave behind sin. Sin makes us unhappy in the end, right? I mean, take take sexual sin, for example. You know, you, you immediately are more lonely or, or you're more isolated, all these kinds of things that, that you think you're, you're trying to solve the problem of, but really it causes a worse issue. What does God call us to is not just to leave that sin behind, What's so beautiful is that he calls us to even greater union in himself, a place where we can go and we'll never be alone again. We will never be lonely again. We will never be unfulfilled. He wants to actually heal us. So when they say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, this is, this is a beautiful statement because what they're saying is like, look, leave behind that old life of sin and turn towards the life of the kingdom. The life of the kingdom is going to make that life of sin look like it was nothing absolutely nothing. It's going to make it seem like there was absolutely no fulfillment. You're going to look with the eyes of Christ now. And it, and it's a turning and a radical reorientation of how we view the world, of how we view our brothers and sisters, and how we view uh, why we're here. It's a total change of attitude that Christ is calling us to, that repentance is calling us to, right? It's not just a leaving behind a sin. It's taking on a total and entirely new attitude. Because from now on, if we've repented, what we're supposed to do is look at everything through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And he calls us so tenderly and so beautifully. I want to just um, go through one of the one of the stories of repentance in the gospel um, that I think is, you know, really beautiful. And we've talked about it on the on the show before, but that is the story of Zacchaeus, right? The story of Zacchaeus is so, so absolutely beautiful. And, and in the story of Zacchaeus, right, uh, it kind of gets some historical context here. It's important. Remember, Zacchaeus is a tax collector, okay? Uh, the tax collector uh, in Israel is the persona non grata, right? They, they are probably the most hated in society. Why? Because at the time uh, when Jesus walks on earth, uh, Israel is under the control of the Roman Empire, okay? And the Romans knew well how to rule people, even a stiff-necked people like the Hebrews. Um, and so the Romans would do things that would make them, you know, not cooperate with each other, all these kinds of things. Okay. And one of those things is the Romans chose tax collectors from among their own people. Now these tax collectors, the way it worked is that each person was supposed to give a certain amount of money that the Romans assigned for the taxes. Well, the way the tax collector was supposed to pay for his own salary is he would ask for a little bit more. Okay. And so you can imagine this is a slippery slope for these people, right? <laughs> because uh, you can basically pay what the tax collector is telling you to pay, or you can have Roman soldiers show up at your house and throw you into prison or, or worse, okay? So these tax collectors, not only were they colluding with the Romans, okay, uh, they were colluding with, uh, you know, a, a group of, uh, of, of Romans who knew exactly kind of how to destroy a culture in a sense, right? Uh, these are people who worship their emperor. So they were colluding with people who were idolaters, 
all these it, it, there was absolutely every reason to kind of shun the tax collectors and then on top of that they were dishonest right they would they would uh, extort people and they would take more money than what they were supposed to from them and so it's important to understand that this is the this is the, the life that Zacchaeus is living right he would not have been welcome in, in the the community of believers in Jerusalem and so when he does actually hear that Jesus is coming something calls to him right something calls to him and and I think it, it's a beautiful line and something we always have to remember uh, in chapter 19 of Luke the very first verse uh, it's talking about Jesus Christ and he says he entered Jericho and was passing through okay why why does the gospel writer start with that okay I think he starts with that rather than just start talking about Zacchaeus because we always have to understand that we don't move to God usually. It's usually God who moves to us, right? Oftentimes we think like our, our the grace in our life is because of our own volition because we've woken up and gone to Mass. We woke up and went to hear a speaker. We woke up and started to read our Bible. And of course we cooperate, but we always have to remember that the truth of all of this is that Christ is just desperately, passionately seeking after us. And so when the gospel writer starts with this, when Luke starts with this line, he entered Jericho and was passing through, in a sense, you could almost read it as he entered Jericho to, to go find Zacchaeus, right? To go find Zacchaeus. So these crowds were just mobbing Jesus at the time. And uh, it would have been filling the streets. And Zacchaeus obviously was not a, a popular person. So Zacchaeus, it took some humility for him to go out and to actually move through the crowd. I mean, you can imagine these are people who hate him, who would uh, just scorn him and dismiss him, right? And he moves through the crowd because he desperately wants to respond to Jesus's movement into his life, okay? And so he wants to see what this is all about. I mean, who knows exactly what the state of Zacchaeus's heart was, but obviously something is drawing him to Jesus. Something is drawing him. You know the old story, right? Zacchaeus climbs into the tree and Christ goes right to him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down for I, I need to eat dinner in your house this day. And immediately what happens with those who are believers, they say, what are you doing? What Jesus are you doing? Right? This man is a sinner. Do you not understand? Right? But just, just like so tenderly, so beautifully, not not as the just judge we've been hearing about, but so beautifully, Christ calls Zacchaeus down from that tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, I, I have need to eat dinner at your house tonight, at your home. I want to come into you, Zacchaeus. I want to come into your home, and I want, to I want you to encounter me. What a beautiful and tender, uh, just passionate, loving, I just, I mean, it almost brings me to tears. It's amazing, amazing to think. Because on so many occasions, I have been Zacchaeus, right? I have been the sinner who felt the call, right? The, the call of Jesus on my heart and moved towards him, worried that I was going to receive the judgment and instead received the tender doctor or the tender surgeon who would try and clean me up and fix me up, get rid of those things that are, that are weighing me down. And so you see in this beautiful encounter, like with all encounters, it is both freeing and liberating and healing. Uh, every time we encounter Christ, we are healed, we are liberated, we are, 
in in any way. You know, it's not just when we pray for healing. It's not just when we uh, pray for something else, or liberation or something like that. Christ always comes in and he does what he does, right? He is Lord and he's Lord of this situation with Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus has this encounter with Christ and obvious conversion happens. Obvious conversion happens. And he does exactly what we've been talking about here, okay? Not only does he say, wait, hold on, Lord, hold on. Everybody's, you know, murmuring about this and everything like that. And Zacchaeus says to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. Now, listen, this is exactly what we were saying. Not only, right, Zacchaeus has been a sinner in the past, and he's saying, look, if I've defrauded anyone, I want to make up for that. So he's turning away from sin. But even over and above that, even over and above that, what does he say? He says, I will behold, Lord, I will give half of everything I have to the poor. This is what I mean. God is not just calling us to turn away from sin, but also to accept this beautiful new life, new life in the kingdom, to see the world, to see the poor, to see uh, our brothers and sisters through the eyes of Jesus Christ, to encounter Christ and to encounter Christ in others. This is metanoia. This is repentance. This is the beautiful, beautiful thing that God calls us to and that can happen to all of us. I know so many of you out there are probably um, thinking, yeah, this is exactly what's happened to me. This is exactly what has happened to me in my life. I know I know it's happened to me time and time again, and I've watched it beautifully happen in other people's lives as well uh, as we, we bring people to an encounter with, with Jesus Christ. You know, it, it, the words of Jesus so resolutely silence the crowd, so resolutely silence the crowd to end this story out. He says, today, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to his house since he is also a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Brothers and sisters, do we have a do we have an amazing God or what? To read this and not to feel the heartstrings being pulled is to not be human, right? This is one of the one of the greatest probably stories in all literature, and yet it's scripture, right? This is this is the has the presence of Christ in it. Zacchaeus uh in, in a certain sense, is all of us, right? All of us are. I I, I remember um, a funny story about Zacchaeus. As a child, one time, my it was for All Saints Day. My mom decided I was going to dress up like Zacchaeus, okay? And so she, like, wrapped me in a sheet. And this was, like, in second grade, I think. And she she would, she would stapled Monopoly money to, to the sheet, okay? And then, like, to make th- things worse, I mean, it's already looking crazy. She went out into the yard and got like a huge, dirty tree branch and like uh, like tied it to my back. And I remember walking into the classroom and like hitting the door because of the tree branch and trying to get in and struggling with it. And everyone being like, what the heck are you dressed as? You know, because I was dressed as Zacchaeus. Even as a child, I was thinking about this story of Zacchaeus because of, you know, my mom doing that. But even though that's a that's just like a funny story. It shows, right, that when Christ encounters those uh, who he walks in the midst of, that their lives are changed, and their lives are changed, and, and, and they turn away from sin, 
but more importantly, they embrace a life of of discipleship with Jesus Christ, a life of of passionate relationship with him. This is what we're talking about. This is the repentance that we want. This is the metanoia. The kingdom of God is in our midst. And Christ is saying, look, turn away so that we can accept it. Turn away so that we can accept it. This is what can be dangerous about the idea of the gospel being proclaimed without repentance. Gomer talks about this a lot. The gospel, oftentimes, uh, I've, I've even heard speakers say, you don't have to change anything about yourself. You don't have to change anything about yourself. Everything is great. You just have to have a relationship with Jesus. And I, I get what they're saying because it's not possible to change without that relationship with Jesus. It's just not possible to do it. But it's important that we realize that part of this repentance, part of the metanoia, is the turning away from sin, is the turning away from a life of selfishness and pride and the opposite way that we should be looking at the world. Part of that is letting go of those things, leaving the world and joining the kingdom. We have to be really careful about all of that because, in a sense, the more we leave aside, the more we drop the encumbrance of sin, the more we're able to embrace the kingdom that is in front of us. And so it is important, right, as we look at our own lives and as we reflect on uh, on this as evangelists, that we preach a gospel of true repentance, of true repentance, of, of an actual change that can happen in someone's life, uh, and that we don't become cynical with the idea that someone can change. Because I can tell you, brothers and sisters, I've seen the most hardened sinners change. I really, truly have. I've seen the most hardened sinners change uh, and, and and change to the point where you, you just you can't even imagine who they were before. We're getting ready to go to break here. But before we go to break, I just want to remind you, uh, we have this great new thing here with Every Knee Shall Bow provided by Ascension Press uh, where we want you to text the letters EKSB, standing for Every Knee Shall Bow, EKSB, to the number 33777. And what that's going to do is it's going to put you on a list so that every month, I believe, you're going to get a copy of the show notes, right? Uh, and every week you'll get a copy of, of the uh, practical takeaways, okay? Uh, again, EKSB to 33777. We want to hear from you. And as always, if you have questions about evangelization, discipleship, anything that we cover here on the show, please feel free to email us at EKSB at ascensionpress.com, E-K-S-B at ascensionpress.com. That's usually answered by either Gomer or I, uh, and sometimes we answer them on the show here. So please, again, uh, we want to hear from you. Now we'll be back in just a minute, to, uh, and I'll come back with some practical takeaways. Two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ chose corrupt, broken, imperfect, sinful men to be the foundation of his church. And because these broken, imperfect men chose to remain in relationship with Jesus, they became saints. And they were used by Jesus to transform hearts and minds two thousand years later. I invite you to check out my book, Broken and Blessed where you'll find practical tools to overcome habitual sin, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, 
and to walk with an imperfect church toward a perfect God who is calling all of us to perfection over time. To order the paperback book or audiobook, Broken and Blessed, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we're back. Hopefully you uh, heard some good resources from the people at Ascension Press. We're so happy to be part of the Ascension Press community. And uh, we hope that you enjoy tuning in every week to Every Knee Shall Bow. Uh, I know that I've heard from so many people around the country who uh, have really relied on the podcast to, um, for their training and evangelization. I know a lot of priests and DREs and even diocesan officials who are sending it out to their entire diocese, parishes, uh, staff members, so that people can learn. I mean, it is an easy way. You can learn on the, on your way to work, on your way home, or when you're at the gym, you know, just pop in your, your headphones. And uh, and it's a great way to learn from uh, both our mistakes and, and from any kind of knowledge we've gained over the years of evangelizing. So I hope it's blessing you. Now, you know, each week we try to give you practical takeaways, and this week is going to be really simple. I, I just want you to take this week, and, and I want you to do one simple thing. It's going to be an exercise, okay? And this exercise is this. Just get a little marker, okay? Uh, and I mean like a piece of paper or something like that, something you can mark a page in a Bible with. And I want you to go to the story of Zacchaeus, right? And I want you to spend the week meditating on the story of Zacchaeus, okay? But this is how I want you to do it. I want you to read the story of Zacchaeus prayerfully, okay? Say a little prayer to open up, read the story. Then I want you to do your own examination of conscience. I want you to say, to put yourself in the situation. If you came down from that tree and you were hearing what the crowd was saying about you, that you were a sinner, as we all are, and you were hearing about all this, and you were being called to conversion, and you heard the murmuring that Jesus shouldn't be coming to your house for dinner, and you wanted him desperately to come, what would be the thing that you needed to repent of? Zacchaeus says, I will pay back fourfold for everything I've done, and I'll give half my money to the poor. What would you have to say? So do a little examination of conscience. And then I want you to just find a prayer of repentance or say a prayer of repentance. It could be the act of contrition. It could be the Jesus prayer. Jesus, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It could be any prayer of repentance. It could be something spontaneous. But I want you to do that every day. Every day, take 10 minutes and prayerfully meditate on the story of Zacchaeus and put yourself into that situation. What is it that's keeping you from the crowd? What is it that if people saw you would be embarrassed by? What are the things that you've done to others or how you've treated others that you would have to repent of? Take some time and, and really enter into this and, uh, and, and see you know, that maybe God will reveal something new to you. Maybe the crowd will reveal something new to you when you place yourself in it. Maybe just this story will reflect you know, something in your life that you haven't seen before that we can bring to the mercy of God. I know, I know I have plenty, so I'm going to do this too, and I hope to hear from you next week. Next week, we'll be joined again from, from Gomer, and we will continue our retreat on repentance. Uh, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow. We pray for you guys every single day, those, of, those who listen, uh, and I hope that you'll pray for us as well. Again, we want to hear from you, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. God bless.